Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Candid Catholic Convos. In the spirit of complete transparency, I need to let you know that the holidays are actually pretty hard for me. Not just hard from a scheduling perspective, but they're hard emotionally as well. Growing up, nearly every major holiday was punctuated by loss, from the death of family members and friends to moving across state lines, job loss, and having to start over. And instead of ever really dealing with those losses, I found ever-evolving ways to distract myself. I have to get the decorations up, or send the cards, or make the cookies. And do we have plans for this weekend yet? Because so-and-so wants to do something, and if I schedule it just right, I never have to actually deal with anything. What I go through nearly every holiday season is not uncommon at any point in the year. As a society, we are obsessed with productivity, going as far as to attach our worthiness as human beings to the quality of work we produce. We put limits on how long we allow ourselves to grieve or process because it affects our effectiveness as an employee or as productive members of society. For the record, there is no limit on how long you are allowed to grieve, so don't buy into that lie. Productivity is not an effective avoidance mechanism, and it's often very lonely. Trust me, I speak from experience. So with one of the most stressful times of year rapidly approaching, I've invited spiritual director Chris Wood back to the studio for a rundown on how we can process grief and trauma from a position of faith in a world obsessed with productivity. Chris, I'm so excited to have you back talking with us today about a not-so-pleasant topic, but it's it's always really good to be able to bounce ideas off of somebody else, especially somebody who's, who's walked down the path of grief before. And we talked at length in our last podcast about um, what you've been through and how you've been able to navigate that. So I'm really glad that you're able to share some more knowledge with us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to be back. And, you know, this topic is something I have experienced with in my life and it's close to my heart. So, yeah, I'm very happy to continue the conversation from uh, off of what we talked about last time. When it comes to grief, like when we think about it or when we read the word, we almost always conjure up images of viewings or funerals or death. But in reality, grief is pretty comprehensive, ranging from physiological to spiritual to emotional responses anytime we have any kind of devastating loss in our lives. So what are some ways that grief can manifest in our lives and and how can we recognize it? So grief is different for everybody depending on who they are and what they've been through. So it's kind of a spectrum of how it affects people, but grief in general is going to come through 
it's tricky because sometimes it doesn't come through in the moment, right? Like we're very good as humans in distracting ourselves or occupying ourselves, right? Like a lot of times, um, one of the ways that people deal with grief is just by getting as busy as they possibly can. I know that because I was guilty of that in my life um, with things. And you want to do things and fix things, but at the same time, you're not dealing with your own grief. You're not dealing with the feelings. So it sneaks up on people. You know, we have our moments where we break and where we sort of just crack, just, just fall to it. But, but grief can come through in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's, it is important to remember that it is a psychological thing. It is something that we deal with in our, in our, in our minds and our mental health. So it can come through in any, in any number of ways of just simply just having a moment where we finally break and cry, which can be good for us and a good way to deal with it. But again, I think in today's society, it comes through of like, being busy and trying to hide it and work through it. And that's when I think I have to work through my grief and like that means something good, but it can also mean something bad because you don't physically work through your grief. You don't, there, there, you know, there isn't a necessarily set way of dealing with grief, you know? So when it does come up, we have to identify first of all, what we're grieving and then also just, just take appropriate steps to face those feelings and emotions. But and again, the way I would put it is is to deal with them with God and in our prayer lives, as well as the help of others when we deal with the psychological side of these things. You know, so grief comes through mostly obviously in sadness, but also, you know, how we respond to it can be a sign as well, because I think we have a tendency, especially in today's culture, like I said, to want to ignore it or to push it aside or swallow it down deep. So I think that's probably a common symptom is just having that feel. And we all know it. It's kind of a form of anxiety where it's really grief, but it's just because we're swallowing it down. So we kind of feel the same knot in our stomach that we may feel that we associate with anxiety or stress. But really, we're just not dealing with whatever it is we're grieving. And like you said, when we talk about grief, we think about somebody's died right? You're grieving the loss of someone or something, but that's not the only time we deal with grief. You know, we can, we can grieve the unexpected, you know, we can grieve feet, you know, the fear of anything. Somebody doesn't have to die for, for example, my grandmother last night fell down and broke her hip. She's not dead. She's not dying, but she's in pain. She's scared. She has dementia. So that makes it more complicated because she's confused. And I'm grieving that. I'm grieving for her. Again, she's not dead. Uh, doesn't think doesn't don't think she's going to die from this. Like it's, you know, she'll get surgery and rehab and stuff like that. But there is a level of grief there as well. And again, my thought at first is, well, what can I do to help? And there's not a lot I can do to help. But what I can do is pray for her and allow myself to feel sad which is just gives me even more inspiration to pray and be present whatever way I can, which is another way that I can deal with the grief. That's a really good point. In but sometimes we might not recognize that things not going the way that we thought they were going to go or, or things that we were anticipating and didn't quite pan out the way that we thought they would. You're, you're allowed to grieve that you're allowed to feel something. And I think we are conditional, our conditional responses that we, just shove everything down. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I don't need help. And then one minor inconvenience can lead to an explosion of 
like all the emotions like a like a volcano and maybe if we took the time to express it as it was happening and just kind of put a name to it and just recognize that hey we're actually going through something it's okay to not be okay it wouldn't turn into a huge situation later no and we all need a moment where we you know hitting rock bottom isn't necessarily a bad thing because when you're at the bottom you can only go up Mm -hmm. which is good but like you said you're right if if we pay attention to our grief as it's happening to us we can deal with it in small bites as opposed to falling flat on our faces and basically like having some huge moment that can take us a lot longer to recover from. So, but again, we live in a society where we, we tend to stuff away the negative emotions, which is dangerous. Right. Like we're afraid that exposing our negative emotions or even just, you know, emotions of sadness is making us a burden to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, Weak. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about this a little bit, but sometimes when we're processing grief and trauma, it can kind of feel like we're in the Sahara Desert, like God is this ever-evading oasis. We're told that God does his best work in the waiting, in those sometimes in those times of spiritual dryness. But what's the difference between spiritual desolation and depression, and how can we differentiate the two? This is a really good question. Depression is a mental illness. It's an aggressive way to say it, but it is. It's it's a mental illness. It's treated with medicine or therapy or both, a lot of times both. It's a problem with your brain. Spiritual desolation is something affecting the spirit. Now, I wouldn't call it a problem. It's not a fun time, but desolations and consolations, the peaks and valleys of our spiritual lives are part of God's plan for us. So a desolation, when you're in a, in a state of desolation spiritually, you're at a low point. Maybe God is silent at that time on purpose, but that only has the potential for good things to happen for growth, right? Like we talked about, I think a little bit in the last podcast where these hard times in our lives are like God chiseling away at us like we're a statue, right? But it hurts. So we have to have desolation, something that I deal with in spiritual direction in my own direction, as well as is helping other as others as a spiritual director is dealing with uh, this aspect of it. You know, the ups and downs that can happen quickly or for long periods of time. We hear from saints like uh, St. Mother Teresa talking about year, like long, long periods of time of dryness and prayer, you know, and it's, again, it's important to remember in those moments, God is not distancing himself from us. He's not turning his back. That never happens. God's grace and love is like, an, it's just like the never ending light bulb shining down on us. We're the only ones that can get in the way or put up blocks or allow the devil to mess with us in terms of that. But a spiritual des- desolation is something God has willed in our lives for the betterment of our souls, or at least it has the potential to be if we allow it and we work through it in our prayer lives and our spiritual lives. It's an opportunity to persevere and to show faith in God, even when you feel like he's not as close to you, even though he is, but maybe he's just being silent in your prayer life. Depression, like I said, is a mental illness. Now, if you suffer with depression, God is allowing that to happen. It's one of the ways, two ways God's will works. He makes things happen directly or he allows things to happen. So if you're struggling with mental illness, God is allowing it to happen for some greater good. But depression is something, like I said, that is a matter of the mind. 
not the spirit, not the heart. That's a matter of the mind. And the mind has to be treated separately from the spirit. They're linked. Our mental health and our spiritual health are very much linked, but they have to be treated separately, if that makes sense. It does, kind of like how you wouldn't go to a podiatrist for a heart condition kind of thing. Yes, but again, everything in our body is connected. Right. That's a good example. So like I said, our, our spiritual health and our mental health are connected and they affect each other. But if you have a mental illness, if you have a psychological wound, something that you're dealing with, whether it's not even something that can be treated with medicine, you're just dealing with trauma and it's affecting the way your mind works, which is very normal, you have to treat that with the proper remedies, medications coming from that side of the fence, if you will. Like you have to see a therapist, you might need a psychiatrist, you may need medication. And people tend to forget that, or at least want to ignore that. There's people that want to pray away mental illnesses. And then God has healing for us, but we have to remember that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. So healing comes through people. It's not all just miracles where God snaps his finger and, you know, grandma's cancer disappeared. Those moments, those kind of things that happen at like Lords and stuff, we hear stories of people going and having miraculous healings. Those are awesome and true, but way more healing happens because a person went to the doctor. And that doesn't mean God's not involved. That just means God is working through the talents and the gifts he gives his people. Like my wife, she had through COVID that cancer battle, right? She was not miraculously healed. We didn't go somewhere and, you know, she didn't dip her body in holy water and all of a sudden, poof, it was gone. She had to go through chemo. She had to go through these medicines and treatments and surgery. And she is now healed. She just had another checkup like a couple years out. She's good. Thank God. But also thank the doctors that God created and gave the gift. So it's the same for our mental health. Like a desolation spiritually is sad and it can be depressing for us if we just focus on the negative. But it is not depression. It is not our mental health and it shouldn't be treated the same. And if you're dealing, if somebody is dealing with depression or thinks they are, you have to seek the right help for that, as well as your spiritual side. Because again, they affect each other. So that's why there are actually quite a lot of people who will be in spiritual direction as well as therapy or seeing a psychiatrist. It's very common. We actually, as spiritual directors in the diocese here, maintains a list of Catholic therapists and psychologists and things like that. So that way you can take care of both sides of that. You know, and you can take care of the psychological and the therapeutic side with people who are also Catholic, which is good because they won't shrug off the spiritual side that's a part of it as well. But they're very different things, but they, like I said, they can tie into each other and affect each other, but they need to be treated separately and specifically. Yes. And oof, did that hit home with the, you need to address them as two separate but whole entities because... I can't tell you how many times struggling with depression and anxiety that I've heard, well, you just need to pray it away. You mm -hmm. just need to do this. And I think there's the, there's that stigma around seeking help from a therapist or from a doctor and being on medication as a, a like a sign of weakness mm -hmm. that I couldn't handle this on my own. Well, God gave these talents to doctors and to therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists 
to help you like that is their gift that is their charism is to to help people who need the help and if we don't go to them they mm -hmm. can't use their gifts so that that one really hit home so thank you for sharing that another thing we talked about in our last episode was offering up our grief or suffering and sometimes when you're in the midst of it and you hear oh you should just offer it up it's like one of those things that you just want to like shake your fist at the sky but there is a deeper meaning to it could you expand on why it's important to offer up our suffering as Catholics? Yeah, I'm actually happy to delve back into this. So I w based off what you first said, if anybody walks up to a person in the midst of their suffering and grief and says, you should just offer it up, they're making a mistake because giving people wise counsel is only wise when you give it to them when they're ready to hear it. Okay, part of giving wise counsel is having the wisdom or, or, or getting the wisdom from God to know when to say it to somebody. So if you walk up to somebody in the middle of a funeral and say, you're so sad and grieving, you should offer it up like there. That's not the right time to say that. So you have to be smart about that because that does happen a lot. Or even again, I went straight to death. Obviously, we were talking about how not everybody is grieving death is grieving and suffering and involved in lots of different things. So. But to get back to the, the entire question, offering sacrifices is not something that should be foreign to us as Catholics. It's a huge part of our faith, and it's a huge part of the foundations of our faith. You know, Catholicism, Christianity, was built on the back of Judaism. You know, Judaism was the religion of God up until Jesus dies, died and rose again. That was the religion of God, and that religion of God had a deep and long history of making sacrifices to God. And we still do that today in the Mass. The Mass is a sacrifice. It's why there's an altar. You know, thankfully, we're not sacrificing sheep and goats anymore, but we don't have to do that anymore because the ultimate sacrifice was paid for us in Jesus Christ. He died to save us. And Mass is just us celebrating that and having that sacrifice it's how we remember that and also obviously receive the eucharist the body of jesus but we tend to forget that part of it like you'd be surprised how many times when we talk about what mass is to young people the teens that they don't even recognize it as like a sacrifice on an altar which again has deep roots in jewish tradition so the reason why we why sacrifices were made and i'm by no means an expert in jewish tradition um but you're lifting your prayers up in that sacrifice, right? Like we know the mass, like I said, is a sacrifice. And in the mass, we are lifting our prayers up. It's a big prayer, right? And a funeral mass is a big prayer for the soul of the person who's departed. If we think about lifting up our own suffering or, which, or our own sacrifices in the same way, it's the same thing. We're elevating our prayer in that way. So when you offer up your suffering whatever it is, you are just using something that you feel and you're dealing with to literally just help you lift and push up those prayers even more. And we do the same thing with music, right? Like a common thing in praise and worship music is we say that singing is like praying twice, right? That's what I tell the kids when we do praise and worship, you know, it's, it's, it's meant to be like a lifting of our prayers, whatever our intention is. So when you lift up suffering or a sacrifice for another person, you're using that to lift up that prayer for them. And also to help you remember, because one of the most common things is like people fast for uh, someone, right? And a lot of times what we fast from is food. 
which is not bad. It's very common, but like it's good because you feel hungry. So when you're throughout the day, you're feeling that hunger, that desire for food, and you're consciously setting it aside. You're also in that time remembering whatever it is you're doing it for or whoever you're doing it for. And the same with our suffering. If you're like, I'm suffering this time of whatever, you're using those feelings to lift up that prayer intention or for, or the prayer for whoever it is. It's just a way of amplifying our prayer and making it more of a part of our life because we're, we're, we're connecting it to something that we're feeling and dealing with. That's a really good way to look at it. I, I hadn't heard of that until when I was pregnant with our first child. I remember somebody saying, you know, oh, you should offer up your labor as a prayer for somebody. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> that's intense. Uh, I can see how powerful that would be. But that was kind of the last thing on my mind at the moment. Um, but I I can see how, you know, if if you know that something is coming, that that would be pretty powerful. And even if you realize while you're walking through it, like, you know, obviously walking up to somebody as they're currently dealing with something, that's probably the last thing they want to hear. But when you recognize it, you could intentionally use it for, for betterment. Well, and practice makes perfect as well. So if we get in the habit of practicing fasting for prayer intentions or, or giving up things or small sufferings, right, throughout the day, like, you know, if you know you're about to have a difficult day at work or something like that, or if you're in the midst of it and you just take a moment, because our intentions are what matter in our prayer lives. It's, it's about intention in a lot of things. So if your intention is you're recognizing this sacrifice or this suffering, even if it's just you're in traffic and you know you're going to sit there for 30 minutes dead on 83 just waiting, those are moments where we can say, this stinks, but I'm going to accept this suffering for a soul in purgatory or, or whatever, or, or you know someone's health needs or, or whatever, something for your kids. That's... When you do that in small ways, again, when you make prayer a regular part of your life, it makes it easier for you to get through the big hard things. So if we make sacrificial, you know, making these sacrifices and lifting them up to God or lifting them up for others in the small ways throughout our lives, then it's easier for us to focus on those in the big times, like when you're in the midst of labor pains, you know, again, that's, you, you may think of that on your own in that moment, as opposed to somebody telling you in the middle of it, you wanting to throw them out the window. <laughs> that was kind of the reaction that I had, but yes, I, that is, and I love the, the image of being stuck in, in traffic on 83. Like that is such a tangible way to use small sufferings. Like you, the things you don't really think about, like you're going to be in 83, you're going to be stuck mm -hmm. in traffic anyway. Why not? Yeah. use the time. That's such a great idea. I think within the last few decades, we really kind of attached this sense of worthiness to our productivity when we think we're only as good as the work that we produce and, and vice versa, um, which can make times that we're struggling with grief or overwhelming emotion and consequently not performing at our best kind of send us into this downward spiral of I'm just not good enough. So what should we do when we find ourselves in a situation like that? Well, today's, yeah, it is a big problem in culture today, especially in this country. I, you know, I can't speak for any other countries because I don't live in them, but I know in the United States, we live in a very productive culture, you know, but that's because there's a distortion as to what we think of as success 
because we're focusing on worldly success, right? But we as Catholics know that that only matters so much. What matters is our success in getting to know God in this world and living out a life like Christ and working towards, with the help of God, becoming the saints we're called to be. Uh, but again, there are practical things we have to deal with. So I dealt with this uh, when my late wife, Brittany, died. I had a job. I was not in a financial position to take a sabbatical or anything like that. They were, I worked for a small family owned company. I was in retail management and uh, they were very, as generous with me as they could be. But again, it's a small company. I managed a store. I couldn't just disappear for three months and expect to come back and still have a job. And I also couldn't afford to, like I said, anyway. So, you know, I'm, I'm barely two weeks. I'm back in at work because I have to be. Um, but there's also the part that I struggled with, which is also just putting on a brave face. So, you know, we can deal with the practical side of things. It's like it is a struggle in today's society where if you lose a spouse, like there isn't extra time allotted for that. Like if, you know, there is, there are getting much better and better with maternity and paternity leave now, which is good, but they're not looking at mental health in the same way, um, which hopefully will improve over time. But there is still, and at least what I struggled with in the sense of what you're talking about is I was raised in a very typical, like American dream household, you know, in, in, in all the good ways. You know, my dad came from not very much, joined the military, started his own business, very successful. My mom went to college, was an elementary school teacher for like 30 years. Like they worked hard and achieved their goals. And I was raised with the same kind of mentality of like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, get to work, get it done, work hard, which is good in some ways, but bad in others. Because if you, if you subscribe to that, like I did, and I still struggle with, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps also means shoving the feelings down. Because if you're sad, depressed, if whatever you're dealing with, you can't deal with those properly at the same time that you're striving to seem to be normal and successful and achieving things because of other people's impressions of you. So it's really sad and, 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 but again, we can deal with it. So I think the answer is finding balance and being willing to sacrifice things that we need to for the sake of our mental and spiritual health in these moments. If I could go back in time, I would still have gone back to work because I had no choice. Like I can't, I had a mortgage, like I just, a car pay, like I couldn't have not done that. But I could have allowed myself to let other people know that I was not good in my head. Again, like I said in the last podcast, I went to church very quickly afterwards. I was a Catholic at the time, but I was surrounded by God's love and I was surrounded by loving people, like I said, but I still wasn't quite right in the head. But everybody thought I was because I was walking around with a big smile on my face. The only person that ever saw me crack was my mom. Very briefly, um, in the car, it was actually before Brittany died. She was in the hospital. It was like the day before. And she was driving me back. I don't remember all the details, but I like just cracked and I started crying. She's the only person that saw that. The only person that I can remember. Yeah, she's the only person that saw me lose it. And then I kind of sucked that up kind of quickly. Not because I had to. My mom is the stereotypical love bomb of a mom. 
um, which is the reason why I'm sure I ended up breaking in front of her in that way. But I could have done that more. I could have talked to more people at the time and I could have opened up and just been honest. Again, I go to work, I have to do my job, I have to do those practical things. But at the same time, I think in hindsight, it would have been better in the long run if I dealt with the emotions and the grief, you know, through that process better just by talking about it. Because I went to church and I was surrounded, like I said, surrounded by all this love and affection, which was good for me in a lot of ways and healing. But I know looking back that I was at the same time stuffing some stuff down for sure, because I had this idea in my head that like, you got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and keep going. But again, that's not all bad. That's why I say you have to find balance. So, so my recommendation to people is you have to do what you practically have to do to survive in the midst of grief and trauma and things like that. But you also have to find opportunities to deal with it and be comfortable with the people you can to let them know and talk to them about how you're feeling and, and deal with grief practically. Like I said, grief, sadness, trauma, it affects us mentally and spiritually. We need to deal with those things separately in the appropriate way. So if you're in spiritual direction and you're going through trauma and grief or you're revisiting trauma and grief, deal with it in spiritual direction in the spiritual side. But any good spiritual director in those moments is going to recognize through the help of God, because they're praying for you when they're meeting with you, that you need to deal with the psychological side of that as well, which means you may need to talk to a therapist. You may need to talk to a psychiatrist. You may need to treat both sides of that. So it, we have to move away from that today's society, which is interesting because we have to move away from shoving it down which the secular world is actually getting better at. If you look at the more secularized, I don't like using this term so close to politics, but more liberal side of things, they're very open about this. They're very, you know, you see all the ads for like better help and things like that, like that app about where you can get therapy through this like apps and like technology is stepping up, which is good. And that's one thing that that's good that's coming from this side of things that's very open with everything is is the secular world is making good steps in normalizing mental health but there's still a lot of us and a lot of people and it's just coming from the generations that that come before us of this idea that success is found through putting on a brave face and just working through it and 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 again like i said there is a certain th truth to that because we have to do the things we have to do to survive in this world by simply just making sure we have shelter, food and clothing for ourselves and our families. But also like we need to move into a realm where mental health is more of a priority. And that is very true for us as Catholics and Christians because we have spiritual health, we also have mental health and we need to deal with both and treat them both with a lot of priorities. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I feel like generations previous, it was there was a very distinct separation between your emotions and your work life, and they never were supposed to intermingle. Um, whereas now with mental health taking more of a, not necessarily front and center, because it's not yet, I feel like there's still some work to get to it being as recognized as a part of overall health. Um, as it should be. There's things that we need to do to survive, like to go to work, but you're probably also juggling. And I wish I could remember who it was. I think it was an author, but she talked about how she balanced 
work and family or work in anything else. And it was about juggling. You have all these different balls up in the air um, and you have to recognize which ones are glass and which ones are plastic Mm -hmm. and which ones you can afford to kind of like make room for so that the other ones stay intact. And I thought that was a very, very powerful imagery, even when it comes to something like grief is that, okay, well, if I can't let go of the job and I can't let go of this, how, what other things can I do to kind of carve out space so that I can take care of my mental health and spiritual health and just physical health? And I had read a quote from St. Thomas Aquinas where he was talking about how to soothe emotional pain. And one of the things he mentioned was like, you have to talk to somebody like pain is a easier burden to share when you talk it out with Mm -hmm. a friend or a therapist or a spiritual director. He also mentioned that you need to cry it out because crying is such a physical release Mm -hmm. that it, it, it acts as an emotional release as well. So it's not shameful despite what people will tell you that like boys don't cry or like you need to stop crying, get over it. Like, no, St. Thomas Aquinas said it's fine, so I'm just going to let it out. <laughs> well, again, that's there was a different time, you know, like Absolutely. We it's it just comes from the generations who raised us and you can't fault them because they're a product of the generations who raised them. So Yeah, and they were doing the best they could with yeah, what they knew. Yeah, and again, and and mental health is not a very old science. No. You know, it's a young science that is just now, like you said, coming becoming more common, more center place in normal society. We have to take full advantage of that. And any spiritual director worth his or her salt will help you in your spiritual life identify when you need to take more direct action in your psychological health. Because it's, 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 there's physical health, mental health, and spiritual health. It's kind of this, this trio of health that we have to balance, you know, and, and they all affect each other in some way. And they all have to be dealt with uniquely in their own way i can't you know if i need to lose some weight i i I can't pray it off i gotta go to the gym you know but if i need if i can tell i'm dragging in my spiritual life i need to spend more time in the chapel or whatever you know and my mental health i might need to and again i might not need therapy i might need a vacation i might need a break i might need to go for a hike that's big for me i'm an outdoors guy you know when i'm stressed and dealing with anxiety i like to run straight into the woods you know, I love Adoration Chapel. I'll never, I'll never undermine, you know, time spent with Jesus in the Eucharist, but God is present everywhere. So for me, I like to move. So if I'm dealing with it, if I need a little mental health boost and spiritual health and physical health boost, I'm going into the woods and hiking as many miles as I can, because I'll come out of that better in all three areas. But there's also times where you're dealing with deeper things that you need deeper help, which is where therapy, psychology, or psychiatry comes in and things like that, as well as more precise exercise for your physical health and spiritual direction in general for diving even deeper into these things. So we have to treat all of these things. Absolutely. Kind of building off of that, trauma and grief are often very invisible wounds, but they're just like physical wounds and they require healing and reflection. As humans beings today, as a society, we have this sort of unspoken reverence for those who can keep their personal turmoil and work productivity separate, which I think says a lot about how we process trauma, which is we try to control it with work or exercise or diet or any other numerous healthy or unhealthy distractions. 
How can we set aside time for our emotions and our growth if we never leave ourselves enough space? And moreover, how do we let go of that control so that God can do his best work? The main reason why when I was dealing with the loss of my late wife, Brittany, that I went back to work and put on a brave face and all those things was pride. That's really what it was. I was raised with a certain expectation for success, which is not bad. We should encourage our children to be successful. So I'm not uh, demeaning the way I was raised by any means. But for me, it was the next level. And for a lot of people, it's the next level where we're putting our productivity and our success ahead of our other needs. But again, for a lot of people, it comes down to a source of pride. I mean, we live in a society now where we hold up people who work seven days a week. You know, like we look at these people who are super successful because they worked their butt off. You know, my dad was one of those people. I mean, when I was a kid and he first started his business, like he worked a ton. Now he still found time for us. Like I never felt neglected, thank God, but he worked a lot, you know, and he achieved a certain amount of success. But I know now, like he, he reflects now, now that he's you know, he just turned 61. So he's approaching retirement and he's much more reflective these days. And he looks back and he says things like, man, you know, I really, I really wish that I wasn't so busy when you guys were kids. And I feel like I wasn't around. And I've had to remind him a few times that that's not the case. Like I don't have any memories of my dad not being around. My dad would work six, seven days a week and still come home and take us for hikes and things. That's why I love hiking in nature is because my dad, that's what we did, you know, went swimming in a river somewhere or whatever. So but again, he instilled that in me, which was a form of pride, right? So that, that's what I was getting to was, it's not always the case. There is the practicality of it, of that, like we have to move on and work and, and, and succeed and, and do things like that. But a lot of that stems from pride, which we know is the root of all sin and is bad. So pride sneaks in in every way it can, even in us wanting to stand tall and say, we survived this because we lift people like that up in our society, you know, even the fiction that we create, right? All the people that we look for up to, I think I talked about this in the last episode, was you know our heroes like Batman and stuff. They're people that like went through bad stuff and they worked through it. And now they're these powerful, you know, successful people. And again, there's a balance to that. But what we have to do, and it's the same with our spiritual lives, is we have to reassess our own priorities. You know, we 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 have to we have to deal with these things. We have to, just like our spiritual lives, we have to put the right things first. That's the way to say it. We want to put our spirit. So when people, one of the biggest things that we, I hear in spiritual direction, and I struggle with myself is finding time to pray, right? That's the thing. And I'm sure, you know, you have kids and stuff like that. Like it's hard. I don't even have any kids. And I still like, you can fill your time very easily. So the answer to that, that is always the answer is like, you have to put that prayer first and build your day around it. But we also have to do the same thing when we're dealing with our emotional our emotional health, our mental health and things like that. Like we all deal with ups and downs in our mental health, regardless if we have a diagnosis or not, or if we're dealing with trauma, we all have good days and bad days. We all get worn out. But there's a reason why on the seventh day God rested. You know, when's the last time? You know, there's so many people that don't, have a day of rest. People don't take time for hobbies, for things that they enjoy. Vacations, even if you can't afford to go somewhere that you've always wanted to go. Like a lot of people don't use their vacation time to go on vacation, right? They got to take their 
kid to the doctor. Oh, I guess I'll have to use a vacation day. And those things happen. You can only control so much, but still like we can deal with our mental health the same way we can deal with our spiritual health, which is by setting aside time to work on it. We set aside time to pray. As Catholics, we know we have to go to mass once a week, things like that. Like we set that time aside in our spiritual life, you know, in our day, whatever your daily prayer routine is to do that right, you have to set aside some time and that time may need to be flexible because things in life happen, but we have to set that aside. And I think with our emotional and mental health, it has to be the same thing. And whether that's just simply saying a common one for married people is having date night, right? Whether it's once a week, once every two weeks, whatever you can do. Everybody always talks about how good it is for a married couple, regardless of how many kids they have, to have a date night. Get, take the kids to grandma and grandpa's or whoever, get a babysitter and have that date night because it's good for the health of your marriage. We need to, most people take some sort of vacation because you need to take a break. All of that is for our mental health, really. If you think about it, like Megan and I just had a beautiful vacation in Mexico at a resort. And that ended up being relaxing and fun, but more than anything, it was like this break that I needed because it was like a very, there wasn't much to do other than relax there. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to cook. I didn't have to clean. Like I didn't have to do anything, but just be there and rest. And that was, that was something that Megan and I both recognized. Like that's the kind of vacation, something like that, that we need as well as the fun, active vacations, but also like we need to make that a part of our lives. And like I said, same thing with date nights. And But for our own mental health, it's also like as Catholics, we need to start bringing back the Sabbath. You know, again, that's not treatment for mental illness. If you're struggling with depression or any kind of thing, you need to get specific help for those things. But for the general day-to-day -day stuff that most people in this world, and especially in this country, are dealing with, the stress, the anxiety, we need to bring back the day of rest, but a proper day of rest. That doesn't mean you lay on the couch all day, but you take a break, you unplug with your family, without your family, whatever it has to be. But there's a reason why God set up that system, right? We have the seven day week and we're supposed to have this one day. You know, most priests are very protective. They usually have one day off, right? They're very usually, every priest I know is very protective of that and for a reason, because you gotta have, that day. And we're missing that. That's a fundamental. I mean, that started with God created the world. And in the process of creating everything, he created a day of rest. And for a long time, and in the Jewish tradition, that was always taken very seriously. Still is. You know, I've, I've known Jewish people throughout my life and their Sabbaths on Saturday. And I know dealing with like business owners at my old job, like they, you didn't see or hear never on a Saturday. Like they took it very seriously, but we as Christians have let that part of things slip. We don't have our rest, our leisure time. We let our hobbies and interests go. It's something that I see that's very common to people that have kids, right? You become a mom and a dad, and that does take most of your priorities away, but a lot of moms and dads, they struggle with stress and anxiety because now they're not having their date nights. Now they're not painting or doing music or whatever it is that was their thing that brought them joy for themselves, they lose that. And then they lose some sense of the, what the benefits of what goes along with that. But I think that's probably the best answer I can give is in general, we need to bring back and, and, and give the respect deserved to that Sabbath, that day of rest, that time of rest, and just unplug and step away from 
the things that we're dealing with that are giving us the stress and the anxiety and the mental health issues as best as we possibly can. Absolutely. And I am, I am very familiar with the, the loss of identity of like becoming a mom or becoming a wife or becoming, you know, whatever you kind of, you push to the side what it was that who you were before. And I remember telling my therapist that it felt like, it felt like a death to self. And he was like, well, it, it doesn't have to be. Like you, you can carve out that time. You can find an instance throughout your day to kind of incorporate something back in or, you know, like you were saying, intentionally make the time and, and protect it. Like if you wouldn't cancel the meeting at work, then you shouldn't cancel this. As, it's an appointment with yourself. Like if you wouldn't let your phone get down to 1% battery, you should be able to charge yourself back up as well. You need that time. So Matter, I think that's yeah. a very tactile way to think about it. It's a matter of priorities. Mm -hmm. But like you said, you have to actually do it. You can talk about it, but it's the same as everything else. Physical health. I said physical health, mental health, spiritual health. All three, all three of them require us to actually do something. Make a schedule. Put it on the fridge. You know, a lot of people, I'm, I'm, you might, you know, with your kids have a thing on the fridge that says what you're doing every day of the week. You know, what's for dinner today? What's the activity? Well, Family rosary can go on there, mm. you know, Sunday. And that's the other thing you can do is incorporate these things with your family as well. You know, like I love to hike, so but so does Megan. And you know, if we ever adopt or, or foster another kid, those kids are going to be in the woods sometimes too. <laughs> so, right. you know, and and you can you can share those things together. But the point is, is and like my dad was a great example of that. Like I said, my dad would work six, seven days a week, but all my memories of childhood were ch in my childhood were of him taking us to gunpowder falls to hike. And like, he knew where like cool swimming holes were in the river where we could jump in, even though I don't think we were supposed to, but we still <laughs> did, you know, like I have those memories. Cause that was my dad's priority was to be successful to provide for his family, but he also prioritized us spending time together. You know, we still went on vacations. We went to Ocean City, Maryland, like two weeks a year of my whole childhood. You know, and I, that's what I remember. It's like that was important. That was just as important. So that's what we have to do in today's society, too, is, is balance our priorities and, and, and prioritize the small things that can help us treat and prevent, you know, the mental health things. But again, people do have formal diagnoses that need to be treated, you know, so. We have to pay attention to those things. But I think what most people are dealing with day to day in this world is stress and anxiety, which is the big one. You know, I read a statistic because, you know, I do youth ministry where something along the lines of the average teen, the average teenager is dealing with more stress and anxiety than a patient in a mental hospital in the 1950s. Wow. Like, I forget the how much more, but like a lot more. And that's why at Fan the Fire, my theme was no God, no peace. Like, if you want to have peace in your life, you need to know God. And that's what's the theme. And I brought that up at the beginning. I said, all of you guys, and I've done it with my own group. Where I'm like, raise your hand if you've ever felt anxiety to the point where you thought you were going to throw up. Every teenager raises their hand. I didn't feel that. I don't remember feeling that when I was a kid. You know, so, and I was a kid not that long ago, you know. But today's society, it's just getting worse. And it's because now, like, even these young people, they're so busy, they don't have time. You know, we talk about prayer with young people, and I don't have time. They don't have a day off. <laughs> like, most teenagers do not have a day off. And it's just going to create another generation of grown-ups that never take a day off. People just 
grinding their teeth and white knuckling it through all of their life. And they may be happy sometimes, but it's just not the way we're meant to live. And we see that, like I said, you know, when God created everything, he instituted the fact that we need to take a break. But we so much in today's society do not do that. And I'm guilty of that as well. I'm no, I'm no, I'm not sitting here as like I mastered that. I'm not always, but it is something that myself and everyone else, we just need to pay attention to and prioritize. Right. I think we've, we've glamorized like hustle culture and making sure that we reach it by a certain time and, and that it just, everything just kind of gets lost and muddled. And I can always tell when my anxiety is really bad because I always feel like I have to be doing something I'm like, mm -hmm. no, it is productive to actually stop and rest. Mm -hmm. So I, I have to remind myself of that a lot too. Well, it's another form of idolatry. Mm. You know, again, it always roots back to sin. So that's, you know, we, we hold up success or our, our own successes, which is another thing that can replace God in our lives, you know, is and also other people's opinion of our success, which is even worse because we live in such a world where our whole lives are on display now with social media. So you know, you don't usually see the true, you don't see people's mental health issues too often on their Facebook profiles, right. you know, so you're just seeing all the fun and good times. And again, super guilty of that myself. Yeah. But the reality is, is, you know, we just have to, we have to take a break. Absolutely. So how can grief lead us to greater compassion and empathy for the suffering of others? How can we be present for someone in our lives, um, currently traversing through a stage of grief. Everything that God allows to happen in our lives is for some greater good. It's always hard, not always, it, it can be very hard to figure out what that is. And we also sometimes have to have the humility to admit that we may never know. Um, but the one answer that is usually universal is that the grief and the difficulties, the suffering that we go through at the very least can help us with exactly what you said, empathize with others. My wife went through cancer. She now can relate to people who have gone through cancer. My first wife, Brittany, died. So I therefore relate very well to people who have lost a spouse. You know, I, and it's not even just the bad stuff. It's, it's, it's everything, you know, it's, it's everything we go through in our lives helps us relate to others in some way. So, and that's very much true for this. So that's, that's, that's one of the fruits of the suffering. And people say, well, why does God let us suffer? It's because everybody at some point in their lives is going to deal with grief and loss in some way. And that's universal because then we all have the ability to be there for each other, to love our neighbors properly. You know, Jesus came to earth in order for him to be fully man, he had to suffer and die. That's because we also, as humans, are going to, in some way or another, we're going to suffer and we're all also going to die. But that puts us all on even playing fields, no matter our success. It's one of the things, again, my dad, you know, he's, he's, he's healthy, but, you know, he's in his early 60s, so his body isn't what it once was. It's another thing he talks about is it's like surprising to him sometimes. But again, it's like, it's humbling. It puts him on, a, you know, it, it's good to be reminded that we're not immortal and that we do have limitations because we are going to one day die and we're going to, we need to face that in life. So that way we can prepare ourselves for that. And that helps us reprioritize what success means. That success that we're pulling our, ourselves up by the bootstraps to get 
and shoving our feelings and our emotions and ignoring our mental and spiritual health because we got to climb the next rung of the ladder. I got to get make more money. I got to have whatever. That's all distractions from what we're really supposed to be working on succeeding in, and is that is our path towards sainthood, to, to heaven. So God has created a world where no matter what, we're all going to be on an even playing field because we're all one day going to face sickness and suffering and death. We're all going to lose somebody. Money can't, you know, money can buy a certain level of happiness, but we're all going to fall apart, you know? I mean, but even that, like I said, that is for a greater good of, of helping us towards that pathway. And going through these things, like I said, is also important because, because everybody else goes through them. So we're supposed to support and be a body of Christ, the church, you know, where we're all brothers and sisters, all of us. And since we all essentially will at some point go through the same things, we can be there to love each other even more. And more specifically, help each other on our, on all of our pathways towards heaven, towards sainthood, because we can relate to these human experiences. Absolutely. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me again and to open our eyes and our ears because it's a podcast you can't really see anything but for just giving us all that truth i felt like there were a lot of things that just kind of really hit home with me today um and i hope whoever is listening it, it hit home for them as well so thank you and i hope you have a great rest of your day thank you so much for listening our goal at the diocese of harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org DAC and clicking the make a donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.